And I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, how to love God with all your heart. We've looked at a couple of verses, several verses that Brother Craig shared with us this morning. And we finished up back in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 by saying, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Sometimes we read verses and we think about what does that mean? How do we put that into practice in our life? How do we make that work in our life? And the Bible sometimes gives us examples of how we do that. I thought about the Apostle Paul as he experienced the shipwreck on a number of occasions the giant wind-whipped waves that crashed down on his ship and battered it, the lightning, the thunder, the breaking of the ship's mask and the rigging of the ship, all of that spelled doom to the sailors and to the passengers. And Soon the heavy wood would split and the ship, the water would gush in and break apart and they would, the ship sink to the bottom of the sea and the passengers were left in the water, and oftentimes the Apostle Paul spent, he said on one occasion, a day and night in the deep. And the interesting thing was that as he did that, there seemed to be no fear in his life. The rest of the night and through the next day, he had time to remember the different encounters that he had had with, the, with life and and death, and anticipate that there was more to come in his life. In fact, five times he was condemned as a wicked man and forced to lie face down on the ground. A ruthless deputy stood over his open back with a long, razor-sharp whip. Another deputy stood close by and counted the stripes as they were given to him, the lashes, the maximum legal amount was 40 which would bring a man to the point of death. And five times the Apostle Paul received 39 stripes, the Bible says, save one, ripped open his back. He recalled the time that he faced an angry mob that planned to kill him by throwing rocks at him. They pummeled him as he fell to the ground unconscious and convinced that he was dead. They went on their way and left him there for dead. However, as we know, his consciousness returned and he got up and continued his journey. He oftentimes had to deal with gangs of robbers and he was terrorized in the countryside. Times when he was beaten by wooden rods. His life was oftentimes threatened by bitter men who attempted to kill him or threatened to kill him. And sometimes he had to run for his life, hiding out through the night. Oftentimes he went without food and sleep. Many times he had severe cold because of inadequate clothing. And yet through all these near-death experiences, the Apostle Paul had no fear. In fact, one day an elderly prophet took a belt and tied his own hands with that belt and then he delivered a warning to the Apostle Paul saying that if he went on to Jerusalem, he would be bound and delivered to the Roman government for judgment. And Paul's friends wept with him and begged him not to go on that journey, to continue 
on his way. And listen to what his response was. He said, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world changer had no fear because he was told at his conversion by the Lord that he would suffer greatly for the Lord and for the cause of Christ. Yet the Apostle Paul knew that he was indestructible as long as he was carrying out the work of God. And until that work was finished, they could not take his life. His work of bringing the gospel to the Gentile world. After he was arrested, his accusers told the authorities that this man, the Apostle Paul, and his companions were those that had turned the world upside down. Wouldn't you like to have a testimony like that? That you turned the world upside down. And I think the reason the Apostle Paul could do that was because he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart and all his mind and all of his soul. Love. Let me ask you a question. What is the opposite of love? Now, don't answer it out loud. What's the opposite of love? Our normal response would be hate, right? If we love, the opposite would be hate. And that's an accurate statement when we're, when we're talking about loving good and hating evil, we ought to. But when it talks, when we think about people and loving people, the opposite of love is not hate, it is fear. And that's why 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, imperfect love is based on expectations that we have of people. And then the fear comes when those expectations are not fulfilled. Or when we're afraid they won't be fulfilled. When people violate our trust and they fail to fulfill our expectations, our imperfect love turns oftentimes to bitterness and sometimes even to hatred. But when we understand that the opposite of fear is perfect love, then we can take wise steps in our life to transform that fear and to see the perfect love, the the quality of love that God has for us and God wants for us. We know there are different words for love in the Bible, and the word for the love that God has for us is the agape love. The agape love has no expectations of personal gain. In other words, it's a love that expects nothing back in return. When you think about that in our God, He has agape love for us. He loves us, and yet His love is not based on what we give back to Him, or what we do for Him, or how we serve Him. His love is unconditional, because that's God's nature. And God knows that we will only be able to transform fear if we have that agape love toward God and towards other people. Therefore, He requires us to love Him from the three centers of our our being that God created in us. He said perfect love casts out fear. And that love comes from the three centers of our affection. God knows the capabilities and God knows the limitations of each one of us. 
And so he combines all of these three things in the first and the greatest commandment there in Matthew 27 when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The word mind is the word that's also translated a number of times in our Bible, reigns, R-E-I-N-S, our reigns. I want us to think for a moment about those three different areas that God wants us to love from. First of all, we're to love from our heart. God wants us to love from our heart. This is the level of love that Peter had for the Lord before he got that agape love that God wanted him to have. You see, Peter had that that lower level, phileo love. Phileo is where we get our word Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. Peter had that kind of love for the Lord. And Peter's love, when the Lord confronted him, Peter said that he would be willing to die for the Lord. He said in Matthew 26, 33, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Boy, if we ask you this morning, do you love the Lord? Probably all of us would say, yes, I love the Lord. But what level do we love Him on? Do we love Him from our heart? And do we love Him from our soul? And do we love Him from our mind or our reins? Do we love the Lord like that? Peter said, I love you. I would never be offended at you. And yet that very night, you know what Peter did, don't you? He denied the Lord three times. There was something wrong with his love, wasn't there? He said he loved the Lord, but did he really love him? Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, if our love just comes from our heart, God says our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart has a tendency sometimes to entertain competing affections. When we love the Lord with all of our heart, are there, anything, are there other things in this world and other things in our life that are competing for that affection that we have for the Lord? We had a revival meeting this last week, and the Lord blessed in a mighty way. And I can be, I'll be honest with you, for some of us, there were other things that were competing for our affection and our attention, weren't there? And there are a lot of times when we can do other things and when we can let other things take the place of our love. And, and we say we love the Lord, but is it with all of our heart and mind and soul? James warns us in James chapter 4, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? God calls us adulterers and adulteresses. And he says that when we are a friend of the world, we're an enemy of God. We're being unfaithful to God just as a man would be unfaithful to his wife. God says we're being unfaithful, we're an adulterer or adulteress. When we let other things compete and rob us of that love, that we should have to the Lord. He reminds us that we should seek with our whole heart. We're to love Him with our whole heart in order that we can experience the power of that agape love that God wants us to have. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart.
So we're to love Him with our heart. Secondly, He tells us to love Him from our soul. We're to love Him from our soul. Soul friendships can be very, very strong, can't they? The Bible gives us the example in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1 of Jonathan and David. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The problem with soul affection is that it is based on our intellect and our emotions and our will. And the soul can be very unstable under pressure. And our love for the Lord sometimes can be unstable when we're under pressure, can't it? When there's troubles and struggles and difficulty and challenges in our life. Boy, we sometimes can be a little unstable in our love for the Lord. David had to continually reinforce his soul from discouragement. In Psalm 42 and verse 5, David said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Love him with our heart. Love him with our soul. Love him with our mind or with our reins. The word mind in the great commandment that God gives to us there is the the Greek word dianoia. And it is distinct from another Greek word, nos, that refers to the mind of our soul. Dianoa refers to the mind of our reins. Our reins, you say, what are you talking about our reins? Well, if you study it carefully, you'll find our reins include our intestinal tract and related organs. Researchers refer to it as our gut brain. And they explain that it controls our health our mood, and our behavior. God refers to our reins 15 times in the Bible, and He emphasizes the importance that they have to Him. In Revelation chapter chapter 2, verse 23, He says, I am He that searcheth the reins and heart, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. One of the obvious purposes of God's search is to see if we love Him with that agape love that comes from our reins, from our innermost being, not just our heart and soul, but our reins. When we love God with all of our heart and all our soul and all our reins, we experience the perfect love that casts out fear. However, there's a major problem that blocks the ability for us to have that perfect love. What keeps me from having that perfect love that God wants me to have? The problem is this. In our own strength, and in our own power, and our own ability, we cannot love God with all of our heart and mind and soul. Paul describes the problem in Romans chapter 7. Listen to what he says in verse 22 and 23. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He uses that word members twice in those verses. It is plural. It is a clear reference to our reins. The law of sin involves fear and lies that we inherited from Adam. They control the 
resources of our heart and our soul. And if we have that perfect love that God wants us to have, those inborn fears and lies have to be torn down and replaced with truth. What did Jesus say about the devil? He says he's a liar and the father of it. The devil loves to get us to believe his lies. There are many lies that he gives to us, and we may talk about some more of them tonight, but one of the things the devil loves to do is he loves to get us to blame God for what the devil does. You ever have somebody ask you, well, how, how could a God of love allow that little baby to be born with those physical defects and have to go through all of those problems and difficulties? And the devil's trying to get us to blame God for what the devil did. Where did all the physical disease and sickness and death come from? God said to Adam and Eve, the day, they thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The devil came and tempted them in the garden, and when they sinned, the result of the sin was death and disease and destruction. The devil wants us to blame God for what he caused and what he did. And he'll do that in your life. He loves to sit on your shoulder and say, oh, go ahead and do it. Nobody will ever know. The lie from the devil, isn't it? And then when you do it, he sits on the other shoulder and he says, oh, you can't go back to church. Everybody knows what you did. He's a liar. And those lies that we inherited all the way back from Adam, we have to deal with those lies and tear them down and replace them with the truth of God's word. In fact, the Bible says we're to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ's love. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, he says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that's an amazing verse. When God says to us that we're to, we're to, we're to bring into captivity every thought, Every thought that we have, our neurotransmitters send over 50,000 thoughts a day. And God says, bring every thought into captivity. How am I going to do that? 50,000 thoughts a day. We can't do it without his help, can we? We've got to rely on the Lord to help us. Our most important neurotransmitter is serotonin, and I don't want to get into all of that, but just to say that serotonin controls our physical health, our moods, our behavior. And we think all of that, we're, again, we're talking about our mind and our reins. Did you know that, and I was talking to our doctor the other day about this, Dr. Cobb, some of you have been to him over in Lawrenceburg. And I said, did you know only 5% of the serotonin that our body produces comes from our mind, our brain? He said, you're right. The other 95% comes from your reins or from your gut. Huh. I thought that was kind of interesting. We think about thoughts from our brain to our body, and God says, there's a lot of thoughts going from our gut to our, the rest of our body. That's why I'm a little bit overweight. I want more thoughts and... Just, just kidding, no extra charge for that. But here's the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about his mental delight in the law of God, and it's overpowered by the law of sin. 
And the solution to that is following three steps that he gives to us. And we won't get through all of this this morning, but I'll get started on it. But first of all, the first step is to be filled with the Spirit of God. To be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now let me remind you this morning that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's not a matter of how much of the Spirit we get. It's a matter of how much of us He controls. When you and I get saved, we get all of the Holy Spirit we'll ever get. We're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. The problem is He doesn't get all the control of us that He ought to have. It's interesting when you think about the Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It means air in motion. He's an invisible force that influences our thoughts and our words and our actions. I got to thinking about that, the Holy Spirit. And as you look through the Scripture, you find that in creation, the Holy Spirit was involved and He was a gentle breeze. In the new birth, John chapter 3 talks about him being a blowing gust. And when the disciples on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Spirit, it says there came a rushing mighty wind, and they were filled with the Spirit. Now, in order for us to obey this command, the Bible commands us, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled. We are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like when we get saved... After we're born again, we're commanded to follow the Lord in in believer's baptism, in scriptural baptism that represents and pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why when we baptize, we take people under the water. It's a picture of Christ's death. When we're brought out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection. We're saying, I believe Jesus Christ died, was buried, that he rose again. We're commanded to do that. He said in Matthew chapter 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we're commanded to do that. He also commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if I asked you this morning, how many of you have been baptized, scripturally baptized, by immersion, after salvation, most of us would raise our hand. But if I asked you, how many of you have been filled and are filled with the Holy Spirit of God right now, I wonder how many of us would raise our hand. Most of us would stop and say, how do I know? There are several ways that we can know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. One of the evidences that we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God is that we are witnessing, we're telling other people about Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Bible does it say an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, and that's another whole message. We won't get into that right now. But there's an interesting thing as we think about that word filled, to be filled with the Spirit. What does filled mean? Notice how the word filled is used in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, it says, And the child grew, it was talking about uh, John the Baptist, he grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. What was the evidence in John's life that he was filled with the Spirit? He had wisdom and he had the grace of God. He was strong in spirit, and he was filled with wisdom. To be filled with the Spirit is to have his Spirit energize our spirit with the power of God's grace, and he does that through the Word of God. 
In John chapter 12 and verse 3, Mary poured ointment on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, and the aroma filled the house. To be filled with God's Spirit means that we have those qualities that fill us, that permeate our entire being. Acts 13.52 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Well, there's another thing. If a person's filled with the Spirit, they're going to be filled with what else? Joy. Filled with joy. To be filled with the Spirit is to be overcome by His power rather than being overcome by the power of wine. Be not drunk with wine. Drunk, overcome with the power of the wine. God says, I don't want you overcome with the power of the wine. I want you overwhelmed with the power of my spirit. You ever see somebody that was drunk? That was overpowered by it? They have struggle. Mike, you've seen a few of them when you pull them over. They struggle with walking. They struggle with their perception of various things and so forth. God says, I don't want you overcome with some some chemical, something that is going to control you, and you won't. Have, I want you controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, following His ways, permeated with His life, being filled with His Spirit. So, what are the functions of the Holy Spirit then? In addition to understanding what it means to be filled with the Spirit, we need to know the functions that He carries out in our life when He controls our thoughts and our actions. In our words, first of all, the Holy Spirit convicts people of their need for salvation. He convicts us of our need for salvation. John 16 and verse 8 says, And when He is come, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You know why you and I, those of us who are saved here this morning, are saved? We are saved because the Holy Spirit of God convicted us of our sin. The Holy Spirit of God let me understand that I was a sinner, that I had broken God's laws, that I had failed God's ways and commands, and I had gone my own way. And as a sinner, I deserved the penalty of my sin, which is in hell for eternity. And God's Holy Spirit convicted me that I am a sinner on my way to hell, and that Jesus loved me so much He died on the cross and paid my sin debt, and He wants me to go to heaven to be with Him. He convicted me. And brought me to a place of calling on His name as my Lord and Savior. Has the Holy Spirit ever convicted you of your need of salvation? If you are filled with God's Spirit, He'll convict you, but He'll use you, and through you, He'll convict others. One of the wonderful things about being a witness, about telling others about the Lord, is that as I talk to you on the outside, He talks to you on the inside. Amen? I can't save anybody, but He convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts and draws. He convicts us of our need of salvation. Secondly, He lives in the body of believers forever. He lives in us forever. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you, and He will live with you forever. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us. John 14, 6, he said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus was a comforter. He comforted his disciples as he taught them, as he trained them, as he helped to develop them. 
But he's getting ready to go back to heaven and he said, I'm going to be gone and I'm going to send you another comforter. And that word another means one of the same kind. I'm going to send one just like me. And he sent his Holy Spirit. It's just like the Lord Jesus because they are one in the Trinity. He sends his Holy Spirit and he says, I will that he may abide with you forever. From the moment I got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within me. And he's going to abide with me forever. What does that tell me? When I got saved, Holy Spirit came in. And he says he's never going to leave. That means I'm saved. I can never get unsaved, right? I can't lose that salvation because if I did, I'd have to kick the Holy Spirit out and God promised he's going to abide with me forever. He convicts people of their need of salvation. He lives in the body of believers forever. Thirdly, he empowers people to believe on Jesus. He empowers people to believe on Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the power to believe. And again, he uses us to tell others the word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts and gives them the power to believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Again, as you witness and as you tell your family members and loved ones and people that you work with and neighbors about the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, it's not the persuasion or your ability of persuasion. It is the power of the Holy Spirit of God that enables them to believe on Jesus. He can use any of us if we'll let him. And then fourthly, he brings about the miracle of the new birth. Again, I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. Once in a while, I've had a new Christian say something like, Preacher, you saved me. <laughs> and I have to remind them, I didn't save them. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. God does the saving. John chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7 says, Ye must be born again. The Holy Spirit of God brings about the miracle of new birth. When I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that my only hope of heaven is Jesus Christ, and He paid that price on the cross at Calvary, and I call on Him... It is the Holy Spirit of God that births me into the family of God and causes me to become a child of God. He brings about the miracle of new birth. And then he equips believers with spiritual gifts. When we get saved, God gives us some spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He gives us differing gifts. Gifts differing according to the grace that is given. Everybody doesn't have the same spiritual gift. Now, some of us, we may have the same gift, but... We're, there's different gifts that God gives to us. And they're given to us according to the Holy Spirit. He equips us with those spiritual gifts. I know the Pentecostal group says, you know, if you don't speak in tongues and you don't have... They, they, in some cases, they'll go as far as to say you're not saved or they'll say you're not filled with the Spirit and, and there are a lot of different things. Well, as I study the Bible, I find out that's God, the Holy Spirit's choice, what gifts He gives to me. And it's Him. It's not me begging for it. It's not me pleading with it. When I got saved, God gave me some spiritual gifts. He gave you some spiritual gifts. He's given every one of us at least one spiritual gift. There's something we can do for God. And there's something that we ought to be doing for God. Find out what your spiritual gift is and use it for the Lord. And then number six, He produces the fruits of righteousness in believers. 
He produces the fruits of righteousness in believers. How do I live the Christian life after I get saved? The Holy Spirit of God produces those fruits of righteousness. He's the one that enables me to live. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the what? Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. If I don't have love, joy, peace, and so forth in my life, I'm not filled with the Spirit of God. Not with His power. He's there, but He's not controlling me. And His Holy Spirit gives me that power. I wish we had time to go through Scripture and look at the different places where it talks about being filled with the Spirit. And then translated filled in our English language, sometimes it's not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which takes place the moment we get saved, but it's talking about being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the control of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when the Holy Spirit of God, when we are filled with God's Spirit, it is His Spirit that produces those fruits of righteousness. You say, well, I'm not as joyful. Well, I'm not as loving as some people are. I'm not as gentle. I'm not as, as long-suffering. Maybe... It's not that you don't have as much spirit as other people, the Holy Spirit. You have as much. He doesn't have as much control of you. Have I yielded myself to let God's Holy Spirit work through me? It's the Holy Spirit of God that gives us the power to do that. So we must be filled with His Spirit. The next thing is be filled with, in our hearts with God's Spirit. God wants us to be filled in our heart. Since God identifies our heart as the starting point of loving Him, then we need to see how that works out. We exercise our spiritual ears in order to hear the message of salvation, and we use the faith that God gives us in order to believe. In Romans 10, 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the, what? Word of God. And Paul explains that process of being born again. He says, we hear the message, we believe it in our hearts, and we confess it with our mouth. But what saith it, Romans 10.8 says, The word nigh unto the, is nigh unto thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wants us to be filled in our heart. And then He wants us to be filled in our soul with God's Spirit. Notice the miracle of the new birth takes place in the heart. The transformation of our soul takes place as we build the Word of God into our heart and life and let God change our mind and our will and our emotions. First Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's why Paul said, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then we're to be filled in our reins with God's Spirit. Our reins, our, our gut brain, holds the potential for that agape love. And agape love is the key to transforming our fears 
into the power of God. And we have some fears that we all have, have to deal with. That, As I said, we've inherited from Adam all the way back. We have those fears of, of promoting our own name and our own reputation and protecting our own will and rights and providing our own financial independence and pursuing our own sensual pleasure before we die. And God gave to us a model prayer that deals with each one of those fears. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I am to promote his name, not my name. Thy will be done. I am to seek and to do his will, not my will. Give us this day our daily bread. I am to trust and rely upon him, not on my self-sufficiency and my ability. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver me from those pursuits of sensual pleasure. In other words, help me to seek your holiness and not my pleasure. So God wants you and me to deal with those fears and to replace those lies of the devil with the truth of God's Word. The problem is we don't get God's Word into our heart and mind like we ought to. In Jeremiah 17.10, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doings. So God gives us that command in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 when he says, Be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to look at two verses in closing. Look with me at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He tells us to be filled with his Spirit. And then he tells us in verse 16... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What's supposed to dwell in us richly? The word of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So if I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, mind and soul, i got to first of all be filled with God's Spirit. The second thing is, and we'll get back to this later, I must also be filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we'll come back to that later. If I'm going to love the Lord, I've got to have a love for His Word. Let me ask you a question in closing this morning. How much do you really love God's Word? Do we just bring it to church and read it, and then take it home and place it on the shelf. Reminds me of a little girl one time. The preacher was visiting in their home, and, and he asked the mom if she had a Bible, and she turned to her daughter and she said, she said, Honey, go get the book that Mama loves so well. And she came back with a Sears and Roebuck catalog. I don't think that mother loved the Word of God as much as she wanted the preacher to think. If we love the Word of God, God says, I want you to fill your minds and your heart. I want you to be filled with my Spirit, but I want you to be filled with my Word. And that's what God wants for each of us. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, would you give us, first of all, a desire to love your Word and to love you with all of our heart and our mind, with all of our heart and our soul and our mind or our reins. 
then help us to have that same love for your word. To be filled with your spirit and to be filled with your word. And today as we conclude our message, Lord, would you help us just to examine and would you through your Holy Spirit examine our hearts. May we ask ourselves a question, do we really love you? Are we like Peter who said, I love you, I'll never be offended of you, for you, I'll die for you. And then shortly after that, he denied you three times. Lord, what's our love like? Is it that agape love? Or is it just a surface love, a phileo love, like Peter had? Would you help us to love you with all our heart? with all of our soul and all of our mind. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.